Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. You are in the right place at the right time. As you're finding a seat, I want to remind you, if you did not know it already, that next Sunday is Easter Sunday. Everybody say Easter. Everybody goes to church on Easter. Invite somebody that you know is not attending another church. At 10 o'clock, we'll have things for breakfast next Sunday morning. Also, we'll have a photo booth so that you can prove to your family and friends that go to other churches that you went to church. And of course, I'll preach a salvation message about the love of God in our life. And then the children will pick up as many Easter eggs as possible. Amen. You know, today, like I said, it's good to see you. It's good to see you every Sunday morning because I know you made a personal choice to be here. And, uh, you know, I, I talked, it just so happens this, you know, coming up Easter is next week. And so a lot of people are reminded the first Sunday they came. And, and we have people here that have been here uh, 15 years that this Easter. And then 11 years, another lady came up and said, 11 years, Pastor. And uh, I know that there's been some 16 and some longer. Um, I think Koi has been here about 100 years. She, she's the matriarch. Um, she has been promoted to that position. That's a good thing. And uh, maybe if this is your first Sunday at the chapel, listen to this. This might be your first Sunday at the last church that you'll ever attend. Some of you are going, whoa, 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 that's spiritual, man. Just hold on, I got some more. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the ability to be able to get up and make a choice where we're going to go to church or if we're going to go to church. And Father, thank you for the ability in our country to have the freedom of worship, to come to this place to love you with all of our hearts, and God, to love each other as ourselves. Now, God, I pray that you would open up our ears. God, that we don't just hear the, the physical, the, the verbiage, the sounds, but God, that it, it penetrates and we get it of the love of God in our life. We thank you for that. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. The, the series that we're talking about is the abundant life. And, and last week we talked about the word shalom. Now, we're not a Jewish congregation, but at the same time, the word that a lot of times in the God culture of the Jewish religion, they would speak a blessing on people's life when they saw them. Shalom. And sometimes maybe you've heard that on a Jesus movie or something. You go, you know that? What is that? And, and it is about peace, but it is about nothing missing, nothing broken. The abundant life. And, and to be able to receive that into your life, let me tell you, it takes a lot of maturity. We think that it takes a lot of just, you know, maybe selfishness or shallowness and all that. But it takes a lot of maturity to believe that the peace that passes all understanding is available to you. To be able to walk in the abundant life. Now, now this morning, let me just kind of catch you up if you haven't been here or maybe just to remind you. 
Because if you're like me, sometimes I forget what I ate last night. You know what I mean? It's just one of those things. So many times in our life when we've been talking about our habitual lifestyle in our lives, things are going on in our life in the subconscious that we're not even aware of, including our paradigms, which means the way that we see things, the way that we respond to things. You realize that our, our brains are amazing how God created us. And every day we're going through life looking and we're immediately solving problems. See, some of you are not aware of this, but I mean, some of the little things that you came to grips with as a child is still being played out. You go over to go out of this room into another room and you go, oh no, how can I get out of this? No, you don't. That's a problem, but you reach down and turn that little metal thing called a knob and it opens a door and you walk out of that room into another room. You have solved a problem. Over the course of your life, you have a system of solving problems, and usually you choose the best one. As we've talked about habits, they're, they're so subconscious in the running in the background of a cue. Because of a craving that happens, we, we go for that craving, and then we respond to it, and we get a reward for it. As the example last week, you go into a dark room and you have a craving for what? Light. I can't see. I'm bumping my, my feet on things and so forth. So you have a, a craving for light. The cue was the darkness. The craving is I want light. The response is walking over to the wall and flipping on a switch. That's the response. And the reward is boom, there's light. Now, sometimes there's problems and the church lights don't work right and flick on and off. Another story. Stick with me. Stick with me. One time I heard about a young minister that had just gotten through seminary, and he, he decided that he was going to take a church and, and pastor that church. He's a young man. He's learning how to do it. And, and he, he took a church in Kentucky. Can you say Kentucky? That's not Texas. That's Kentucky. And so the first week out of the bat, he had prepared his message and he got all fired up and he went up there and preached on the evils of smoking. Now after church, he, he had a couple of the people come up and say, Pastor, <laughs> I don't want to say anything off, but I want you to realize you're in Kentucky. And about half of the state grows tobacco. You don't, I, I just want to, I just want to... <laughs> Uh, you might not want to preach about tobacco. He said, well, thank you. I won't be preaching about tobacco. The next week he got up and he preached about the, the evils and the sin of alcohol. Woo, some of you are fast. You know where I'm going. They came up afterwards and said, Pastor, <laughs> this is Kentucky. We've got hills and there's distilleries and whiskey all over Kentucky. You, <laughs> you might not want to speak about alcohol. Well, okay, yes, I would not want to speak about alcohol. The next Sunday he studied real hard and he came up with his sermon and he got up and preached with all his might on the sin of gambling, especially horse racing. <laughs> After church they came up and said, <laughs> I love you to death. Nothing personal. I just love your preaching. But let me tell you this, that you're in Kentucky. 
We have the Kentucky Derby here. It's a way of life. Our culture is gambling. Come on. You wouldn't want to. No, no, I would not. Thank you. I'm a young pastor. Thank you for that. I, thanks for the warning. I, I won't be doing that. The next Sunday, fourth Sunday, he prepared and he got up and he, you know, he's a fast learner. Might not be the brightest bulb in the box, but he got up and he preached a fiery message on the evils of scuba diving in international waters. Soogie, soogie, here we go. Now, now this morning I want you to see this because a lot of times the young pastor wanted to do right, but the culture that he lived in was going, you don't do this, but you do this. You do this, but you don't do that. You know, if you want to be comfortable, you want to be accepted, you want to be approved in this area, you want to be, don't you? Yes, I do. Then you don't want to do this, but you want to do that. This is Palm Sunday, the Sunday that we celebrate Jesus riding in and people yelling, Hosanna, he who comes in the name of the Lord. And talking about humility, they were taking off their coats and putting down so his donkey that he was riding on could ride over it into the city. They were proclaiming him as the Messiah, who was the son of the creator of the universe. The culture, the religious culture that was there at the time was going, are you kidding me? This is Kentucky. <laughs> no, they weren't saying, this is Jerusalem. We do not believe that that man could be the son of God. Now watch this. If Jesus came to give us life to the full, to the overflow, I want you to see this because when Jesus came and was crucified, it was because he was challenging the people to change their way of thinking. If you look around in your culture and your environment... Rather seeing that there are people and items and objects, see them as magnets. And they're magnets for your attention. And each object generally or gently is pulling you, trying to get your attention towards it or them. Now listen to this. Whenever you abandon something or someone or an item, or a way of thinking, the tug of that magnetism that, that's tugging you and pulling you towards it now is abandoned, it is released, and you get that amount of attention to put on something else. It's a freedom. But it's hard to have a breakthrough in the area of the way that you think. The last series that we talked about that we're building on today is it is whatever gets your attention will determine your direction and your direction is what determines your destination. It's not good intentions. It's not saying that I'm going to go to San Antonio even though you're going north on 35. You're not getting to San Antonio. It's a change of direction 
Does everybody know, and it's so much common sense, but it's not common practice to, to realize that if you're lost, first of all, you got to know where you are and you got to take responsibility. I'm lost. Can somebody help me? Well, where are you? I have no clue. Sorry, I'm out. But if you say, here's where I'm at, and you identify where you're at, then somebody can give you a change of direction and you're not immediately back to your destination. It'll be a change of direction and over time... I repeat, over time in the right direction will lead you to the destination that you're seeking. Everybody would say, well, Pastor, move on. I already got that. But just put that in your pocket for a minute. Proverbs 29 verse 18 says, where there is no vision, there's a consequence. If you've been in church, can you finish the rest of that scripture? Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no direction, where there's no, that's where I'm going, people perish. And so many times, just like that young pastor in that illustration, I don't really have a way of going, but I can be influenced and directed and my paradigm changes of what I should be doing and what I shouldn't be doing until finally I go, I'm not in a good place. And a lot of times, think about this. One of the reasons people live without a vision is that they cannot endure the pain and the cost required to achieve a worthwhile purpose. There's a cost. It's a pain to say, you know what? I'm living in the middle of a culture that doesn't believe a certain way, but I choose to believe that way. You believe, as the Word of God says, as a believer, if you've committed yourself to Jesus Christ and you've received Him as Savior of your life, that is wonderful, and that is the beginning. But God says that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ and make Him Savior of your life, there's also another thing called Lordship of your life, which you give up... Another term is taking up your cross and following him. In other words, you're allowing Jesus to be able to speak into your life the direction to go, not the direction the culture says it's important, but what God says is important. Now, now hear me on this. It's a powerful combination when somebody hates being bad at something and a willingness to look like a beginner. So when you change your direction in the way that God says to go, a lot of times people say, you know what, I'm just so sick of being busted and disgusted and looking like this and, and going through life and I go, I don't have an answer, I don't have a clue, it just seems like I'm living from paycheck to paycheck, I'm living, I don't like that guy that I'm living with called my husband. I just don't have any ex to be able to change a direction and go the way that God says, even though you might have heard the word of God, you're lacking faith because faith cometh by hearing and hearing and hearing the word of God. It keeps us on the right road. It keeps us in the right direction. So to be able to say, I would like to change the way that I'm thinking a lot of people will fear the ability to look like a beginner. 
And when you get the paradigm, the view, the godly view of what God's talking to us in the Word of God, so many times people go, well, I, I know that's what it says in the Word of God, and I, I, Pastor, you read it right there, and I believe that that's not the John Miller version. I, I see it right there. But we don't do that. Why not? Years ago at the uh, church that, that, you know, just was uh, a traditional church, a hippie came into the back of the church, him and his friends, and they had just heard about the, the wonderful ability of being a believer in Jesus Christ and how he, he healed the sick and he went around and he, he set people free and, and all these wonderful things. And this hippie comes into the church, and this is a true story, I'm just not giving you the names, but the hippie comes into the back of the church and it's back in the 60s and, he, and he's sitting there and he's watching and it, it's a typical service and, 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 and he, he, he kind of motions and the, the usher comes over and he says yes yes son and the guy says so when it when do we do the stuff and the usher said excuse me what, what, what stuff are you talking about he says you know healing the sick and, and things like that you know what when do we do the stuff and the the usher kind of <clears throat> well we believe in the stuff we just don't do the stuff It's painful and it's costly to have a godly vision and to believe the things of God and, and to say things that God says, come on, I, 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 I just don't get it. You're, you're in company with people that were even in the Bible. In John chapter 3, you know the passage, God loved the world so much that he gave us his son and he died for us. Whoever believes in him, eternal life. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. Can quote that or at least summarize it. Uh, God loves us, we can go to heaven. Okay, some kind of summary of that, John 3.16. But before John 3.16 is the first part of 3, and it's called the Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night passage. So here's a guy that's part of the religious world. He has a paradigm of how things work, and he's got God figured out just like all the other people of that time. Good people, can I tell you? Sometimes we look at the religious... Good people. But they had a paradigm of how things work. Here comes Jesus on the scene and ick, and he's telling them, change direction. Watch. Watch me. Nicodemus says, tell me about this. See, he, he sees hope in Jesus. Tell me more because I, I, I don't get it. And Jesus begins to talk about being born again. And Nicodemus is hungry, so he just, I, I don't get it. I, I don't get it. Can a, can a man enter again into his mother's womb and all that? Jesus, no, 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 no. Unless he's been born of the Spirit, a, 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 a commitment to Jesus Christ, a, a forgiving of your sins. He says to Nicodemus, you're a religious guy. You, you know the Bible at the time, the Torah. You, you know the words of God, but you don't understand? And Nicodemus goes, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't get, I don't get what you're saying, but I get, you know, the pride comes into our life. I know what I believe. And Jesus says, 
The wind blows where it may, but we don't know where it comes or where it goes. That's like the Spirit. And Nicodemus is like, what? Jesus began to teach in parables and tell stories, and he said, some people will get it and some people won't. And people are going, because I don't get it, I don't believe it. Follow me. It is costly and sometimes painful to have a vision of what God has said in our life because sometimes we don't have the effort to take the next step and say, God, reveal to me what you're saying here. Now watch this. If we do not have a discipline learning ability, that's a disciple, a discipline learner of Jesus Christ. If you do not have the ability to be a discipline learner, what will happen is our culture will just blow and you'll turn course. And you'll turn course. And you'll turn course. This is the vision that Jesus gave to his followers, including Nicodemus. He said, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. And then the drum roll in my mind. But I've come. Here's why I've come. To give you life to the full, to the overflow. Whoa, wait just a minute, I don't get it. I think that's pretty easy to receive, but it's sometimes hard to apply it to our life when our culture is going, what? You, you talk about Jesus coming to life, not to coming to this earth to give me life to the full, to the overflow. You're, of course, meaning you're come to give me eternal life. Eternal life. I, but here on this earth, I'm going to be beat down and hating life and hating her and hating that and always sick in my body. Never have enough money to, to meet it to the end of the month. Nobody likes me. Well, I don't really like them either. The more I know my dog, the or more I, what is that word? The more that I like my dog, I hate my friends, whatever it is. <laughs> What's going on? As I said a couple of weeks, and this is just an illustration that helps me, is so many times our subconscious is running a paradigm, a way of thinking, a system of operation, and it's like an elephant that we're riding on, subconscious. And we're saying, we're going over here, and the big powerful elephant takes a left. And we go, yeah, 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 that's where I wanted to go, left, left. Because until we know that the subconscious is the subconscious dictating to us how we're behaving and reacting, we're just going to call it fate, our life. Just fate. That, that's the way life is. But if I and you begin to walk in the light of Jesus came to give us life to the full, to the overflow, all of a sudden we begin to receive the things that God has for us and we begin to reject the things that the enemy is speaking into our life. Now, now watch this. We just got through the last few weeks on talking about shame coming into our life and speaking. Not only did you fail, but you are a failure. Not only did you do a mistake, but you are a mistake and everything out of you flows because you're just a loser. The common terminology is, I'm never going to be enough. 
I don't have enough. I will not have enough. Do you, do you know that I've, I've ran into this in different forms? And, and watch this. This is one just recently. I met a very, very, yeah, very wealthy man. I, I could give you an example, but very wealthy. He's not going to have to worry about anything in his life. Visited his house, and he has... Let's just sum it up. He's a hoarder because I'm never going to know when I'm going to need that or that. That's junk, but I might need that. And, and I begin to think, you have enough money to buy that brand new and probably at the end of the day, you won't even put that in possibly that place that you thought about. Anybody with me on that? And I'm starting to scratch my head going, this is a joke. Are you serious that you've got all this stuff out here? Because you might need it one day. It's that, it's that you never will have enough. It's the shame of something that you've done in the past that speaks to you that says, uh-uh. God doesn't want to bless you. God does not want to make you, here's a buzzword that will set you off, prosperous. Whoa, Pastor, prosperity gospel, huh? Culture says that's bad. But when you talk to people and our culture fights, that we have a God of blessing to the point where they say, I don't believe that. But if you ask people, what are the three things, if you walked up to them, what can I pray for you about? They'll talk about wholeness. I want to be whole, and here's the way that they'll ask. I need healing in my body because I'm broken down somehow, or healing in somebody that you love's body. Number two, they'll talk about uh, finances. I can't pay a bill. My, my daughter needs some money, or uh, my son needs whatever, finances. I need help in that. Can God help me in that? And three, it's a relationships of some kind. I, I need to be closer to God, maybe. My relationship with God. But a lot of times, it's my relationship with people that are the closest to me on a daily basis. Is that not true? So the same people that will say, I don't believe that God wants to bless me in those three areas, are the same popular prayer requests that says, I need help. I'm going through something right now in my life, and I need those. Now, now, again, I'm about ready to get into Scripture, and then you guys can go, ah, oh, I came to church. Hallelujah. When we're talking about this, our belief system, what you believe will dictate your choices, and out of your choices will come your experiences. Now, stick with me if you've heard this before, but out of your belief system, it being a changed system and saying, okay, I'm deciding to have a new belief system in my life, and that is, I have been commanded to follow Jesus. So I'm going to follow Jesus. That's my belief system. What are you going to do? What's your belief system? Well, I'm going to follow Jesus. If you believe that you should follow Jesus, then you're following the God that says, I've come to give you life to the full, to the overflow. This is a gospel of Maybe you haven't heard this before. Let me give you a new term. Good news. I see there's a lot of theologians that have heard that before. 
It's good news. Maybe you've been in a church or even in a culture that talk about all the don'ts. The Word of God is just a big bag of don'ts. This morning, begin to think of it as good news. A big bag of seed of good news and a big bag of seed of what to do as a follower of Jesus Christ. Then you begin to choose to let the bad paradigms you begin to abandon those and the tug of that viewpoint is released. You get some attention back. And then you begin to experience allowing God to create new habits in your life to solve those old problems correctly as a follower of Jesus Christ. Now don't, don't, don't go to sleep on me yet. Here we go. Changing your belief system isn't going to be easy. It's going to be costly because you're going to look somewhat as a as a new beginner. Just because you've been in church 50 years, praise God for 50 years in the church, doesn't mean you have 50 years of experience and maturity in your life. You could have one year, 50 years in a row. Okay, I've said that a lot in this series, but I want to bring us all back to this. There's so many times that we get in a place where we don't even realize that the culture that is around us is dictating how we feel and how we react and how we believe this is Kentucky, Pastor. You don't think that way in Kentucky. Just briefly, let me talk about the role of family and friends in shaping your habits. See, the culture that we live in determines which behaviors are, attracted, are attractive to us. Just like in Kentucky, you don't do those things. You have a culture that you live in right now that's dictating that is good and that is bad. We tend to adopt habits that are praised and approved of by our culture because we have a strong desire to fit in and belong to the tribe. Now listen to this. There's three groups of people, social groups that we love to be a part of. And we allow to guide us if we're not careful. The first group is called the close. That's family and friends. The second is the many. That's the tribe. And the third is the powerful. Those are the people with status and prestige that we aspire to be. Now let me say this. As you can imagine, proximity to the people that are going to help in the behavior change is common sense. It is easier to create and establish a habit by being around people that are establishing and living out the behavior that you want. Now relax, I'm not going to start a compound over here and we're not going to fence it in. And Some people have tried that. That don't work. Again, when you begin to realize that your culture begins to affect you, listen to this. If you're not careful, you'll be a group of people that are not believing the things of God and what you think is the normal behavior of the tribe is wrong. But you gain approval, your ability to fit in. It has been proven, you know, in different cases where people will choose, knowing they're choosing the wrong answer to a quiz or something, just because everybody in the group chose that same answer. 
it's a setup. Everybody in, let's choose three, even though everybody knows two plus two is four, that's number one, but everybody choose three. So everybody chooses three and the guy goes, three, that he wants to fit in. Now let me tell you this, the, the, today's message is to, again, help you realize that so many times when we live, we don't believe that God has come to give us life to the full to the overflow. Why to the overflow? So we can, again, be generous on every occasion. But let me give you an exaggeration in history, in the Word of God, of someone that has been influenced by the people that are around him to a place where you'd scratch your hands and how in the world did that ever happen? Now, quickly, if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 13. Again, if a behavior can get us approval, respect, and praise, we find it attractive. In Genesis chapter 13 is a story, and, and again, if you see the subtopic of the, of the chapter, it says Abraham and Lot, and, and they're going to go to a place that they don't know. God is spoken to Abraham, and, and now he's choosing Abraham to start the whole lineage all the way to Jesus. But here's Abraham in chapter 12, I'm sorry. And it says this, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Now again, doesn't that sound pretty hard? He's, he's saying, I want you to leave your country, your people, and your father's household. A lot of us don't know the background that they were idol worshipers. God is saying, I'm going to set a new paradigm, a way of thinking, a, a godly view for you, Abraham, and being influenced in that way is going to lead to a, a difficult situation for you. In verse 2 it says, I will make you into a great nation. How many people believe that that took faith on his part to be able to believe these next things? I'm going to make you great. What? He's one person. But see, 20, 20 is easily hindsight, right? So what do we do? We look back and go, yeah, of course. But don't forget where he's at. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And you will be a blessing. It's not that you'll get a Rolex and a limousine and, and never share it with anybody. Just get all you can can all you get and sit on your can. No, that isn't in the Bible. I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all the people on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went to the Lord and told him and Lot went with him. Now again, leave your household. But someone is tagging along named Lot, his nephew. It says, Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he sent out from Haran, and he took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Again, if a behavior can get our approval and respect and praise, we find it attractive. Now I want you to skip to all this. God has moved Abraham out of the place where he is, around his family, around the culture that he's living in. And we see in verse 
or chapter 13, verse 12. They are blessed so much that all of the livestock between Abraham and his nephew Lot has grown so big. So many of them, they've eaten up all the grass. And so their, their herdsmen, their hired workers are fighting and saying, we don't, you know, I get that patch of grass. And, and finally Abraham and, and Lot come to an understanding that says, we can't keep doing this. How many knows what happens every nine months in an animal's life, pretty much? It has another baby. So they're expanding and expanding and expanding. So they say, hey, we need to separate. So do you understand there's a fork in the road right here for Lot and Abraham. Abraham says to his nephew Lot, he says, you choose. You can have this place where we're at, or you can have that place over there. Which that place over there was, through the physical eye, the most attractive. It was the well-watered plains of the Jordan. So Lot, again, this is my take, being in the culture previously of saying, Psh, I can step on your head and I can make more money. I can have more animals. I can do more things. I'll take the well-watered plains of the Jordan. Now, again, I want to bring this out that the well-watered plains of the Jordan wasn't a bad thing unless you allowed the culture that surrounded the well-watered plains of the Jordan to affect him. And that's exactly what happened to Lot. Here is Lot, and it says, if you... Now, go to, uh, well, verse 12, let me read that. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the, of the plain, and he pitched his tents near Sodom. Listen to that. Here he is just living near Sodom. Has anybody ever heard of Sodom and Gomorrah? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Bad place. Wickedness. So he's outside the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, or those cities, and he's just right there. Pick this up. Verse 13. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. They had a culture. They had a way of thinking. This is a way that we think, and this is the way you're going to think. If you find it, that you want to see it as attractive, then you're going to want to fit in with us. Now listen. Very seldom do we find people in the wrong place at the wrong time making the right decision. But I'm speaking into your life. If you're in that right now, you can make the right decision with God's help. As one old preacher said, say yes to heaven and hell no. I should have saved that to the end because some of you won't hear anything else I say now. All right. Genesis chapter 14. This is the subtitle, Lot is Kidnapped. We see that he has moved in to Sodom. Listen to this. In verse chapter 14, verse 11, it says the four kings, there's four kings that are coming against the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, and there are five cities against four, and the four cities whoop the wicked cities, and, and they kidnap everything that is alive and all the food and possessions and take them away. It goes like this. The four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food. Then they went away. Verse 12 says, They also carried off Abram's nephew Lot, his possessions, since he was what? 
living in Sodom. He's not in his tents outside the city anymore. He has moved into Sodom. All of a sudden, now the culture is totally different than when he was living with his uncle, Abraham. Now, let's stop here. There, there is a problem that has happened. He's lost his freedom. He's been kidnapped because of the, the, the wickedness of the city and all the influence in his life. Now he's been taken away. Do you think that Lot at this moment could have said, you know what, when, when we didn't have enough grass for the animals, I should have played it a little different. I should have told my uncle, I'll sell as many cows as I need or sheep or whatever they had because I'm staying with you. Abraham, you can leave, but I'm going with you. But he decided that he would camp outside Sodom, and now he's living in Sodom, and now he's kidnapped. Now let me tell you real quick in a summary. Abraham gets word of this. Remember the blessed guy. And the Bible says that he comes, and, and he says, okay, Okay, and he, he talks to God and God says, go get him. So all the men in his camp that has been raised there, it's a pretty great number. They take off and they find these five, four kings that have conquered in all the spoils and whoop them. That's a Texas theological word, whooped them. And then he took all the things back that was stolen and he brings them back and the kings that have been defeated come out, especially the one of Sodom, and says, just give us the people back and you can keep all the stuff. Now watch this. This is a man of God. He says, you can keep all the stuff because nobody's going to say that you made me rich. Only God made me rich. See, that's a little different. And for you guys that... Let me just speak to you just that, are, that have been in the Bible a little bit. Do you remember when Saul began to compromise? And he said that God said, kill all of the, the wicked people, and he didn't kill them all. He kept a few of them, kept some of that stuff. And See, that, that's the temptation. Let me, let me just compromise a little bit. But Abraham says, no, 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 no. No kings, none of these wicked kings are going to say that you made me rich. And then to boot, he gives 10% of everything to uh, the priest Med Mechizedek, which is a form of tithing. Uh, blowing people's mind. What are you doing? I'm doing the things of God. It might not make sense to the culture that he was living in, but it made sense to him, and it kept him on the right track of putting God first in his life. Now watch this. Let me. I'm about done. Emphasis on about. What does Lot do? After he's been kidnapped, rescued, and he's brought back, he says, I'm not going back to that kind of lifestyle anymore. No, <laughs> I'm going to live with my uncle Abraham because he's the godly influence. No, he don't do that. And I encourage you, read Genesis. There's things in there that are cool. That you, the Bible's cool. In Genesis, it says that, get this, Lot, beyond understanding, goes back and lives in Sodom. Now it's home to him. Skip down to chapter 19, verse 14. It talks about in that chapter that 
the angels of God have come to Abraham. Now, before I read this, it comes to Abraham and says to Abraham, the city is so wicked that it's going to be destroyed. Hellfire and brimstone. Boom! It's going to be wiped out. It's just wickedness. Now, before we judge, remember, they're doing things that you, by far, would not approve of. But they're so wicked that God says they have to be destroyed. Now, watch this. The angels that are going to Sodom enter the city, and there is Lot at the gate. Now, this is conjecture on my part, but in the story of Ruth and Boaz and all that, the elders would sit at the gate, and, and they were there's a place of prestige and all that. I, I'm wondering if Lot has now become a powerful man at the gate of Sodom. He could be very wealthy because of what Sodom has given him, a trading venue. And I just wonder if here is Lot and he's sitting there and he's high-fiving. <laughs> and he sees these two angels coming in and they look like men. But catch this. They begin to talk to Lot and they say, we're going to spend the night in the square, the city square. Now, if you spend the night in any city square in the United States, chances are you're going to be okay. I didn't say that you're going to feel 100% safe because we all love to live and stay inside. But in Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot realizes this is what's crazy. It's not like he's ignorant of the paradigm and the view of the people that are around him. It is so wicked he looks at the angels and goes, no, no you're not. And they go, yes, we are. We're going to sleep at the city square. <laughs> and it says that they, he insists that they stay at his house. So they go with him to his house. And the story is this, that the population of the city come knocking and say, bring out those two men. We want to have sex with them. Now, again, I do this for an emotional pull on you because it is awful, the wickedness that is going on. And we can't even imagine. What? And Lot is peeking his head out going, don't do this. This is a bad... Why are you living in Sodom? Is that much money, that much value to you? If you were back with Abraham, God would have been blessing you the right way. But he's like, no. And he begins to plead with the people, even saying some things beyond comprehension. And it says the angels go out and go, boom, and they become blinded. Now watch this. The angels have said, you have to get your family out because it's about ready to be destroyed. He tells his future son-in-laws, his future family, hey guys, we got to go. Now watch this. this. This just amazes me of how much that he is aware, but he's not doing anything about it. He looks at his future son-in-laws and they laugh at him. And the Bible says they thought he was joking. That's the verse I want to read. Look at it, verse 14. So Lot went out and spoke to his son-in-laws who were pledged to be married His daughters to his daughters. And he said, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his son-in-laws thought he was joking. 
You've got to be kidding. We've been living with you. We know how you act. We know how you live. You are with us. You're fitting into the system of this city of wickedness. That's who you are. We know. We see you. But Lot, again, at this place is reminded of what God had spoken over Abraham and who he was. Now, you know the story that's probably the most famous is as they are leaving, Abraham, his wife, and his two daughters, that the angels have to actually force them, grab their arms to pull them out of the city. And we know that the wife looks back in history and she's turned into a pillar of salt. Again, the temptation of saying, I want to go back to that. The story is of wickedness. They go out into the mountains and and the daughters are realizing that nobody is going to marry them now. And so they actually get their father drunk and have sex with him so that they can have children. And both of them do. Now Now you go, come on, come on, come on. Pastor, why you get so graphic? If nothing more than to say to you and I, to John Miller first, hey! Even though right now where you are, you might be saying, you know, I I can do life the way I am. God says, I've come to give you a better life to the full, to the overflow. This morning, I, I can't take the chance that I can just speak on on a message up here and say that everybody's a Christian, everybody's gonna be okay, everybody. I just want you guys to to get to the place where you go. Do I believe that God has come to give me life? Not only give me life, but give me to the full, even to the overflow. The good news of, of you know what? I can walk in health. Now, now I'm not going to touch on this very hard, but like, that we can have health, but it's going to start with some of the things that we do. Put down the jelly donut. Park the furthest you can from Walmart. So you can walk in, do a little exercise. Huh? You can have better relationships, but it, but it doesn't work if you're going to stay at home and someone invites you to church or invites you over. And you're, nah, I'm too busy. You're not working on your relationships. On your finances? Pastor, I tithe, but I don't have a penny left. Well, what are you spending on? Well, I had a yard sale, and I made $42 off what I initially paid $3,000 for. Heck, that might be a problem. There's management. There's responsibility of the believer of walking in the truth, of listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to us. You don't need to go out to eat every night of the week if you can't afford that. Come on, there's some common sense. But to walk in the good news that God has given us, the wisdom to be able to do those things that he's called us to do. To give us understanding in every area is a start by checking our paradigm, the way that we see things. The way that our culture has spoken into our life and changed our direction. Maybe just a little bit. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Come on, you can be married 25 years and still be romantic with your husband or wife. I think there's an echo up here. 
Can I get an amen from all the men? Clear to partly cloudy. Can I get an amen from all the women? Participation is good. Especially on Sunday afternoon. Can I get an amen from all the men? That's enough right there. You can still walk in the blessings of God, but it's going to take some work on your part to be a disciplined follower, a disciplined learner of the things of God. Now this morning, this is setting you up as we venture into this. Next Sunday, we're going to speak on the salvation message where it all starts. But then weeks to follow, we're going to get very practical. Things that you haven't heard about, possibly, possibly, in a church. Eating vegetables is not a bad thing. Okay, okay, let's, let's pray. God, thank you for what you've done in our life. And God, I believe that you have come to set the captive free. But God, we have to be willing to get out of the cage. We have to be willing to take action to walk outside the prison doors. And then, Father, when we get outside of the prison, to get the prison outside of us. The God that we begin to see you as a God that loves us. That you are a God that is love. The God that because of what you've done, not what we've done, but what you have done on the cross, that our sins can be forgiven and that you can see us as the righteousness in Jesus Christ. This morning, if you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, you know, this is John Miller. What are you waiting on? He has come to give us a wonderful life. And maybe this morning you've been trying to put a square peg in a round hole and you've been trying so many other things. But this morning you can say, I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. If I do anything to make it difficult, I have robbed you of what Jesus has done for you. The Bible makes it clear that all we do is confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and we will be saved. There's a, God forgive me of my sins, come into my life, and God says, I'll be there. I'm in your life. This morning, if you're here and you've never made a commitment, I encourage you to do that, to receive Jesus into your life. Father, today, before we leave this place, Father, if there's anybody here, I pray, I ask that, God, that they would feel your love in their life. That their sins can be forgiven, and today is a brand new day, born again. That they begin to walk out, God, their loving relationship with you. And your Holy Spirit living in them begins to lead them and direct them. And Father, when shame comes because they make a mistake, that your Holy Spirit says, you are forgiven. Instead of that they are a mistake or that they're a failure for life. 
Father, we love you and we thank you. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. This morning again, I want to remind you that, it, that the statistics are overwhelming that people will come on Easter Sunday morning if somebody will just invite them. I want to encourage you to invite somebody, especially next Sunday morning. Would you stand with me? You have spent about an hour and a half with your church family. I hope that you've been blessed, and I'll be praying for you this week. You guys are dismissed. Go get them.